0: So first off, while I intend to keep my promise breaking news aside to find other stories to plunder today aside from who said what and when and who paid for the interior decor, I am interested to know what do the voters think. As pressure builds on the Prime Minister, are these stories part of the conversation out there in the country away from SW1? Dr. Alan Wager is a political scientist and research associate at King's College London and he joins me now. Um Dr. Wager or Alan, if I might. Um, what kinds of issues uh do achieve that cut through from Westminster, making it from the front page and questions by journalists in the lobby to actual conversation over a pint at the dog and duck or, you know, a dinner table, whatever. Well, that
1: that really is the million dollar question in politics. And part of the sort of art and the alchemy of politics is having the ability to to know what story achieves this sort of sort of cut through, if you like. But I mean, I guess those that don't necessarily have the antenna, you can look at a bit of a bit of data and use a bit of data. So about a dozen times over the past two or three years, uh, youGov uh, have sort of given their respondents a sentence about a, a news story and said, "Have you noticed this? Uh, and are you following this story closely?" So, for example, when they asked about the scripple poisonings, fifty-eight percent of the public said, "Yep, yeah, we're following this really closely, and this is a really big issue." You know, while mocked in sort of in westerners trivia, like forty-five percent of people. Noticed when Shukra Muna and uh, started up the independent group and left the Labour Party. And that's year, really
0: interesting because it, you know normally we're told that 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 actually voters don't care so much about foreign affairs, and yet the Skripal poisoning—I mean, obviously happened, you know, on the ground in the UK—but nevertheless, was it was it was sort of foreign news story, as it were?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And when you think about sort of post-mortems of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, uh, and think about what 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 what, what formed perceptions in the minds of voters. Often the antisemitism crisis that engulfed Labour is seen as the most important thing. But the sort of evidence that you have here shows that a lot of people paid attention to the scribble poisoning and a lot of people saw it and thought that Jeremy Corbyn's response to it was, you know, really problematic. So that that sort of shows that maybe what people think in Westminster is the most important story isn't necessarily always the most important story in reality. And, and that, I guess, speaks to. Yeah, you know, the news stories over the last 24, the last 48 hours and the question of what, if anything, will sort of stick to the prime minister and what we've heard the last few days.
0: Do you think that we underestimate the electorate? Because obviously, you know, the news in the sort of bubble of Westminster and in the media, it travels very fast and it's quite voracious and you're looking for a news story all the time. But actually, the way people make up their minds about things is a sort of incremental, slow build up till it gets to the point where they go, you know what, that's enough, or that's changed my mind about him. People don't tend to react with the kind of you know immediate knee-jerk reaction that that that, that a lot of us, you know, working in in, in the news and journalism do.
1: Yeah, and I, I suppose that's what a lot of people in in at the top of the Labour Party are are saying about this story, in that they are they're arguing that it creates a broader story, a broader narrative of of government sleeves that allows these stories each time to sort of punch an existing bruise and feed into pre-existing perceptions of of Boris Johnson. So people might not think that one story will change their mind, but it might remind them of the things they don't like about the Prime Minister versus the things that they do or whatever as, as you get towards these these elections in a couple of weeks. So it says so it's, it's how you can sort of use uh political stories and, and news and current affairs to feed into and create and um, create a broader sort of narrative, a, a, a broader picture of, of of the government. And that's what I suppose Labour is trying to do with this with this story and with the well with the set of stories that are really Really facing number ten today,
0: based on on those YouGov polls that you were talking about earlier, is there a way of identifying the nature of stories that animate people or not? No,
1: I think I think there is. It's difficult to find one common common theme. I mean, for example, there was a great column from Danny Finkelstein yesterday, and he's someone that does have the sort of political antennae. And one of the things that that sort of was twitching his antenna yesterday was the fact that it's not necessarily always the story but often it's the it's the cover-up that's really really important in in politics and if the prime minister has sort of lied about these matters which relate to sort of life and death decisions in one case uh, and could be illegal i suppose in the case of some people say in the case of the downing street flat then that is potentially something that that would then have that sort of alchemy and create that create that uh, that momentum that could actually be actually be really really problematic for the prime minister i mean if you think about, for example, there was there was speculation in yesterday in Westminster and Whitehall. Is there a recording of essentially Boris Johnson saying the things he said? to have said. And if you think about, for example, Gordon Brown and the Gillian Duffy story back in God almost over a decade ago now, uh, when he said that you know accused Gillian Duffy of being being racist, it was the fact that there was this recording of the incident and it was played over and over again that was damaging uh, more so perhaps than what he actually said or didn't say. So. It's, a lot of it's about potentially the drama that can be created in these things. It's about whether or not something tips it over
0: the edge and creates that, that tipping point. And it's hard to know. Yeah, it really is a matter of, of sort of the art of politics, if you like. On that note, is there any evidence that the story or the rash of stories at the moment have affected the polls? I mean, we're coming up to elections in May, of course, so that's probably the, the most important question in a way.
1: It is, uh, it is too soon to say and over the next few days you know for example with the Dominic Cummings story in in, in June last year it fell in after a few days you saw conservative voting tension falling by five six percent uh, and that would obviously be a huge make a huge difference in these elections in may if, if labor uh, is, is sort of 10 percent behind the polls then it looks like they could even they could do extremely extremely badly if they're five percent behind the polls then it could make a whole. Tranche of gains across territory, win new mayoralties and so on. So, this is actually a, a, a really—it's it, interesting the, the timing of this of, of this of this crisis for number ten and whether or not it feeds into these elections, given the broadly really positive political context for for the government, given the success of the vaccine rollout. Sort of eight, eight, over eight in ten Labour voters say the government has done a good job with the vaccine rollout. So, broadly the political context is really strong for for, for, for the government. So it could mean that ultimately they can can sort of ride this out.
0: Politicians often score badly in the public imagination, famously um, below estate agents. And these stories, whether it's proven that things were done incorrectly or not, they can't help that core question of trust, can they, in in our body politic?
1: No, and and there's always the, the fear that over the long term, the attritional effect of these sort of things is to damage all our main political parties and party leaders and... I mean that's something that that the the the, the 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 politicians always have to think about when they're when they're making accusations uh, is is the broader uh, effect on 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 perceptions of Westminster, which are continuing to sort of be at the lowest levels ever. I mean, think about the think about the 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 MPs' expenses crisis in 2010, and then actually uh, the effect of Brexit on political trust was really significant. So, I mean, it is yes, it is. You do have to think about the long-term institutional impacts, not just the potential. Uh, short-term, you know, uh, electoral politics of all this, which are also obviously significant.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dr. Alan Wager from King's College London, thank you very much for joining me. This is Mariella Frostrup on Times Radio.